ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله Verily the praise belongs to Allah we praise him seek his assistance and forgiveness and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds whoever Allah guides there's no one that can lead him astray and whoever Allah leads astray there's no one that can guide him i bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshiped except Allah alone and that he has no partners i bear witness that muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his slave servant and his messenger we would like to begin this evening as is our habit with a quick review of the hadith which we took in the last lecture from uh, the explanations of Sheikh Abdullah ibn Abdurrahman ibn Sali al-Bassam in his book Taysir Al-Allam Sharh Umdat Al-Ahkam And we are just about at the halfway mark of Kitab Al-Salat Hopefully insha'Allah tonight we will finish those hadiths remaining for the first half of the book of Salat After which we hope to make a quick review And then we will uh, have some uh, brief examination The first hadith from the previous lecture is hadith number 62 the hadith on the authority of Abu Juhayfa Wahab ibn Abdullah As-Suwa'i radiyallahu anhu he said I came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ataytu nabiy sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa huwa fi qubbatin lahu hamra min adam that I came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam while he was in a uh, a red leather qubba um, like tent or something qala fa kharaja bilalun bi wudu'in then bilal came out with wudu with the water that's used for wudu wudu the difference between wudu and wudu wudu with fatha means the water which is used for ablution and wudu Uh, is the act of performing ablution فَمِنْ نَادِحٍ وَنَائِلٍ So there were some of the people who got some of that water that was remaining from the, from the, the water that the Prophet ﷺ used for wudu and they rubbed it on themselves and there were others who didn't get any of it but they tried to get some of the moisture that remained from those who got the water فَخَرَجَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ وَعَلَيْهِ حُلَّةٌ حَمْرَاءٌ كَأَنِّي أَنْظُرْ إِلَى بَيَابٍ سَاقِيهِ Then the Prophet ﷺ came out wearing a reddish garment or two-piece suit of clothing and it is as though I am looking at him and looking at the whiteness of his سَاقِي يعني his shanks, his legs The reporter, the narrator said, فَتَوَضَّعْ وَأَذَّنْ بِلَالٍ The Prophet ﷺ may wudu and Bilal may the adhan. Then he, the reporter said, فَجَعَلْتُ أَتَّتَبَّعُ فَاهُ هَاهُنَا وَهَاهُنَا Then I began to watch, to follow his mouth. That is, follow the mouth of Bilal as he was calling the adhan, as he turned this way and that way. يَقُولُ يَمِينًا وَشِمَالًا He was saying as he was turning right and left حَيَّ عَلَى الصَّلَاةِ حَيَّ عَلَى الْفَلَاحِ Come to prayer, come to success ثُمَّ رُقِزَتْ لَهُ عَنَزَةٌ Then a spear, a small sharp-edged stick spear was placed into the ground فَتَقَدَّمَا Then the Prophet ﷺ came forward to that place where the spear was placed as his sutra فَتَقَدَّمَا وَصَلَّى الظُّهْرُ Then he came forward and he led the people in the Zohar prayer as two raka. Two raka as a traveler. And in the narration in Bukhari, 
ثم صلى العصر ركعتين. Then he also prayed raka as two raka, يعني combining and shortening the prayers, combining door and asr and shortening them four raka to two raka. ثم لم يزل يصلي ركعتين حتى رفع أو حتى رجع إلى المدينة. The Prophet then continued to perform the prayers as two raka. The prayers that are four raka, he continued to perform them as two raka, shortening them until he returned to Al Madinah. From this hadith, the Shaykh Abdullah mentions a number of points that are derived from this hadith. The first of them is that it is legislated in the Sunnah for the Mu'adhin to turn right and left at the time when he is saying Hayya al-Salat, Hayya al-Falah. And the wisdom or the purpose of this is so that his voice might reach further to the people in order to announce the time of the prayer. The second thing is that it is legislated also that the four rakah prayers should be shortened to two rakah when someone is traveling. And the full explanation of this will come later in the chapter concerning the prayer of the musafir, the traveler. Number three, that it is legislated to place a sutra in front of the imam when he is leading the people in the prayer, even in the city of Mecca. Contrary to popular belief that there is no need for a sutra in Mecca and that you may walk in front of people who are praying in the haram in Mecca and some said in Mecca and Medina and this is incorrect as the practice of the Prophet ﷺ shows that he placed a sutra in front of him while he was in Mecca in the place called Abtah and that sutra was to prevent anyone from walking in front of him. And number four, this hadith also indicates the love of the companions radiallahu anhum ajma'een for the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that was expressed or shown in their taking from the leftover water the wadu of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to rub it on themselves seeking the blessings of that which remained from the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And also finally he mentioned the point concerning the prohibition of wearing a red garment and the difference of opinion amongst the scholars concerning this, whether or not this garment was pure red or it was reddish. And the most correct opinion is that had red lines. And this is understood from the fact that the Prophet ﷺ in the authentic hadith reported by Al-Bukhari, he prohibited the wearing of a red garment. And that prohibition is confirmed uh, and it is not possible that the Prophet will make a severe statement or prohibition and then engage in that thing which he prohibited. Uh, the next hadith, hadith number 63, the hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma, may Allah be pleased with him and his father from the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that he said, Inna Bilalan yu'adhinu bilayl that Bilal, verily Bilal, makes the adhan at night yani before the break of dawn فَقُولُوا حَتَّى يُؤَذِّنْ ابْنِ أُمِّ مَخْتُومِ so one who wants to eat before fasting they may eat even after the adhan of Bilal as Bilal, his adhan is before Fajr his adhan is during the night so you may eat until the adhan of Ibn Umm Maktoum radiallahu anhu radiallahu anhuma may Allah be pleased with both of them uh, as the adhan of Ibn Umm Maktoum was at the actual time also we mentioned although it's not uh, mentioned by the Shaykh here in the text of the book but also the, the related hadith the hadith is reported in Bukhari where the Prophet وسلم, said uh, that no one of you should be prevented by the adhan of Bilal from taking their suhoor. No one should stop or be prevented from taking their suhoor by the Bilal, by the adhan of Bilal. فَإِنَّهُ يُؤَذِّنْ أَوْ يُنَادِي بِلَيْلًا Because verily he calls or makes the adhan during the night لِيَرْجِعَ 
qa'imakum waliyunabbih na'imukum. And the purpose of that adhan during the night before the break of dawn is so that the one who is standing in prayer and tahajjit in the night prayer, that they may return from their prayer to take a little rest before the dawn and that those who are sleeping, that they may wake up and prepare uh, for the dawn. If they are going to fast, they have a chance to take suhoor before the adhan of Ibn Umm Maktoum from this hadith the shaykh also mentions a number of points the first of them that is derived from this hadith the ruling of the permissibility of the adhan for salat al-fajr before the break of dawn yani that is permissible to have two adhans for fajr one before the break of dawn and the other at the actual time of dawn secondly the permissibility of taking two muazzins for one masjid for the same masjid is permissible to have two muazzins uh, and that the adhan of each of them should be known so that people will not become confused they will know that the first muazzin his adhan is before fajr and the other one when they hear his adhan they would know that that's the actual adhan of the break of dawn uh, also the permissibility of using a blind man as a muazzin to call the prayer and that we might follow that adhan which he called and accepted as a true indication of the time of the prayer as it happened or as it was done by the Prophet wasallam in appointing Ibn Umm Maktoum anhu to make, the, to make the adhan also in this hadith there is the indication that it is mustahab that it is permissible, not permissible, commendable or beloved or recommended to alert the people of a particular place or location or city to the fact that there's going to be an adhan before the actual break of dawn. The people should be alerted to such as the Prophet ﷺ made clear to his companions that the adhan of Bilal is before dawn so that when they heard that adhan they would know that it is not yet the break of dawn. Uh, also in this hadith is an indication that it is mustahab that a person should continue to eat that he should that a person should not refrain from eating uh, and drinking if they intended to fast they should not refrain from eating and drinking until they are certain that the dawn has broken yani we should not stop eating and drinking one hour before dawn just for precautions but in fact we should actually stop eating and drinking when it's clear that the dawn has actually broken and the Prophet ﷺ in this hadith gave a command he said then I order you to eat and to drink and this command is not meaning that it is obligatory but it is the mean, its meaning is that it is permissible to continue eating up until the actual moment of the break of dawn And also in this hadith is the indication that the time of taking suhoor is extended right up until the announcement of the adhan of Fajr. And this will be discussed uh, further in more detail in the book of fasting. And also in this hadith is a proof that it is permissible that we may follow and that we might uh, practice any act of worship or anything in Islam based on khabar al-wahid, khabar ahad, yani information that was reported to us by one person and that it is not a necessity that a hadith has to be reported mutawatira or by many chains of narrators. It's permissible that it may come from one or two or three or a small number of, na- of chains and that is acceptable as long as the one who reported it or the chain of narrators, the reporters in that chain are reliable reliable, acceptable, authentic reporters. The last hadith that we took is hadith number 64 and that's the hadith of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiallahu anhu he said that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said إِذَا سَمِعْتُمْ الْمُؤَذِّنْ فَقُولُوا مِثْلَ فَقُولُوا مِثْلَ مَا يَقُولُ If you hear the mu'azzin and making the call to prayer then you must say the likeness of what he says. Say the same thing as he says. Repeat the words that he says except for where there are, there is some exception uh, 
concerning the words in the Adhan, Hayal al-Salat, Hayal al-Falah. In another narration, as reported in Bukhari, uh, he said, "Ida sami'tum nida if you heard the call, same as the adhan, fakulu mithla ma yakulu al muazzin. Then say just as the muazzin says. From this hadith, the Shaykh reported or mentioned a number of points derived from this hadith. The first of them that it is legislated in the Sunnah that a person should respond to the muazzin by saying the same as the muazzin says, and this is by ijma or consensus of the scholars." Number two, uh, that the answering or the response of those who hear the mu'adhan should be after the mu'adhan completes every sentence. Not while he is saying it, but when he completes the sentence, then we may respond to him. As the Prophet said in this hadith, if anyone of you hears the mu'adhan, فَاقُولُ And fa indicates tartib or order. That when you hear him, then فَاقُولُ Then say, the likeness of what he says. Uh, and this has been indicated clearly in another hadith reported by An-Nasai on the authority of Umm Salama radiallahu anha that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam kana yakulu kama yakulu mu'adhin hina yaskut that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa used to say what the mu'adhin used to say hina yaskut when the mu'adhin remained silent at the completion of a sentence. And also from this hadith we understand that the mu'adhan when he makes the call to prayer should be answered or should be responded to by the people in every condition or circumstance except the case that the person is in the bathroom relieving themselves or that which is similar to that. Because every dhikr or remembrance it has a reason and if the cause or reason for that dhikr or the circumstance for which that dhikr is legislated, passed by, then there is no need to make that dhikr. And if the dhikr or the words that are repeated with the adhan should, re- should be mentioned at the time when the adhan is being called, and that which is for waking up should be done at the time when you wake up, and that which is for getting dressed and so on, each thing has its occasion or, or circumstance or reason or cause, and it should be done at that time. Also from this hadith he said that the apparent meaning of this hadith is that the one who hears the mu'adhan should say exactly what he says. Every sentence of the adhan should, repeat it, should be repeated as the mu'adhan says it. That's what you would ordinarily or that is, that is the apparent meaning that's understood from this hadith. But the majority of the scholars, the jumhur, said that the words la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah should be repeated. That should be the response of the one who has the mu'adhan at the time when the mu'adhan says Hayya al-salat and Hayya al-salah La hawla wa la quwwata illa billah Instead of repeating what the mu'adhan says Hayya al-salat we say La hawla wa la quwwata illa billah That there is no strength or any power except with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And this has been reported in the Sahih of Muslim on the authority of Umar ibn al-Khattab That the Prophet sallallahu said such uh, now, also we mentioned, he said that one point of benefit, and there are many points related to the Adhan that there is no chance to mention here, but everyone should look to the book of Adhan in the Sahih of Bukhari or the Sahih of Muslim or the Sunan of Abu Dawood and the other well-known books of authentic Hadith to see the other things that are related to the Adhan. From amongst them is the Dua that's reported by Al-Bukhari on the authority of Jabir ibn Abdullah that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa said that when anyone hears the call to prayer and they said Allahumma rabba hadihi da'wati al-tama wa salati al-qa'ima ati Muhammad al-wasila wal-fadila wa ba'athu maqam al-mahmood al-ladhi wa'attahu and that whoever says this supplication uh, when they hear the adhan after the adhan is completed they should say oh Allah the Lord of this perfect call and this present prayer, the prayer that is due at this time, give to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam al-wasila wal-fadila. Yani these two things, particularly the wasila, it is a place in paradise or a station or a status. 
that only one of the servants of Allah would achieve and the Prophet said that I hope that I will be that one and Al-Fadila means virtue, virtuous يعني, or virtue or superiority and also that we ask Allah that he would raise up Muhammad وسلم, the Messenger of Allah to a honored or praiseworthy position, maqam and mahmood that which Allah had promised him whoever says this dua then they would have achieved or earned the intercession of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam on Yawm Qiyamah Okay, this is the end of what we covered in the last uh, lecture and tonight we will start a new sub-chapter the chapter Bab Istiqbal Al-Qibla Istiqbal Al-Qibla facing the Qibla or the direction of prayer This is the halfway mark of the book of Salat and after this uh, as I mentioned, inshallah, we should review those hadith which we've taken up until now and have a short examination and then complete the book of Salat after that. The book or this subchapter of Istiqbal al Qibla, the rules and regulations and matters concerning facing the Qibla. The Qibla, as an introduction, the Shaykh mentioned, the Qibla of the Muslims, it is the sacred Kaaba in Mecca. And it is the place or station of Tawheed and unity of the Muslims. And it is the place that uh, the hearts of the Muslims all and the souls of the Muslims meet at. Allah has made this Kaaba as a, and given it a special status to uh, help to make upright the people, in general the Muslims, uh, in all of their affairs, whether religious or worldly affairs, the Kaaba, facing the Kaaba as our Qibla, it is a means or a way to establish the unity of the Muslims and the oneness of the Muslims for the making upright of the affairs of the Muslims. Also, the Prophet ﷺ, before the Hijra or migration from Mecca to Medina, uh, He was facing the Kaaba as well as Beit al-Maqdis, Jerusalem at one time according to the most uh, correct opinion of the scholars. That he used to face Jerusalem in such a way that he also faced the Kaaba at the same time. Yani, although it was legislated that he should face Jerusalem, but he loved, in his heart he desired to face the Kaaba, so he used to face it in such a direction that he could also and he have the Kaaba in between and face both of them together. But when the Prophet ﷺ made Hijrah to, to Medina and the Jews was there, the people of the book, he simply used to face Beit al-Maqdas, that is Jerusalem, and that was for a period of about 16 or 17 months as it has been recorded in the authentic Hadith. He still had a desire and a longing in his heart to face the Kaaba, and that, because that Kaaba was the most noble and honored place on the earth, and it was the remains of the father of the prophets, the Imam of the righteous, Ibrahim al-Khalil salam. And then Allah allowed him to turn, to change the direction of the Qibla and to face the Kaaba. That took place in the second year after the Hijrah. The facing of the Qibla in Salat, yani the requirement to face the Qibla in Salat is something that is established both by the Qur'an as well as the Sunnah and even by Ijma' or consensus of the Muslim scholars. And it is in fact a sharat or a precondition for the acceptability of Salat. Yani that a person face the direction of the Kaaba. If they are far from it and if they are near to it, they must face exactly the Kaaba. This is a sharat or condition for the acceptability of salat and the prayer is not acceptable without it except the one who is unable or the one who is making voluntary prayers yani nafila riding on their riding animal in that case also the condition is removed for the person uh, the traveling person who is on their riding animal and they are praying voluntary prayers not obligatory prayers and that is, is to be mentioned inshallah in the hadith of this chapter the first hadith that he mentions, hadith number 65, is the hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhumah, may Allah be pleased with him and his father. That the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam uh, 
كان يصبح على ظهر راحلته حيث كان وجهه يومئ برأسه وكان ابن عمر يفعله لمسجد الله صلى الله عليه وسلم كان يصبح على ظهر راحلته يصبح means to say subhanallah literally but here the meaning of it is that he used to make the voluntary prayers the voluntary prayers nafila prayers are called and are described in this way yusabbihu means to make voluntary prayers he used to make voluntary prayers while riding on his animal on the back of his riding animal haythu kana wajhuhu in whatever direction he was facing without paying attention to the qibla yumi'u bi ra'sihi and he used to signal or indicate here meaning indication for ruku and sajda he used to make the indication for ruku and sajda by nodding his head وَكَانَ إِبْنِ عُمَرَ يَفْعَلُهُ And Ibn Umar radiallahu anhumah also used to do the same as the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to do. It's also reported in another narration of this hadith كَانَ يُوْتِرُ عَلَىٰ الْبَعِيرِ وَعَلَىٰ بَعِيرِهِ That the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to make the witha prayer on the camel or on his camel. And in another narration authentically reported all of these hadith are in Bukhari or Muslim that he used to do so غَيْرَ أنه لم يكن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يسمع ذلك في الصلاة المكتوبة. يعني إذا the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم used to make used to perform his prayers on his riding animal, nodding by his head indicating ruku or sajda, and praying in whatever direction the animal was going. غير أنه يعني Except that he didn't used to do so, he didn't used to do that in the obligatory prayers, as salat al-maktuba. He didn't used to do it in the five obligatory prayers, and he pray on the writing of the And in another narration, also reported by al-Bukhari, إِلَّا الْفَرَائِذِ وَيُوْتِرُ عَلَى رَاحِلَتِهِ And he, he used to do so, but he didn't used to do so. And he used to do it in his prayers, illa al-fara'id, except the obligatory prayers, the fard prayers. He didn't used to do so in the fard prayers, and he used to make witr also riding on his animal. He used to perform the witr prayer riding on his animal. Uh, the mention of tasbih or yusabbihu to indicate the salat and nafila, the voluntary prayers, this is in Arabic language a common usage where a part of something is used to indicate the whole of it. Yani tasbih is a part of the salat and here it's being used to indicate the whole of the salat. Just as the Prophet ﷺ said, Al-Arafah, Hajj. Arafah, standing on Arafah is a part of Hajj, but here he used it to indicate the whole of Hajj. And also the Prophet ﷺ said that as-salat, the prayer is divided into between me and my servant. And here he referred to the prayer, uh, but he was really talking about Al-Fatiha. And Al-Fatiha is part of the prayer, but he used the name As-Salat as the whole of the prayer to, to yani for this expression. So in Arabic language sometimes a part is used to indicate the whole of it. Uh, here the Shaykh says the general meaning of this hadith is that in the Sharia, the most common uh, case is that the Fariba as well as the Nafila, the obligatory prayers as well as the voluntary prayers, share common rulings. And if those rulings that are applicable to the voluntary prayer are also applicable to the Fard prayers in general. Except that this is the original ruling, but there are some cases. Uh, where there are some rulings only applicable to the fard prayer or some rulings only applicable to the voluntary prayer. But in general, that which is applicable to one is also applicable to the other. And here also he mentions that generally the differences, when there is a difference between a ruling concerning one of these two, the obligatory or the voluntary prayers, it is usually a ruling where there is a reducing or a lightening of the responsibility or the burden in one of those prayers and it is usually reducing the responsibility in the voluntary prayers. And usually it is in the voluntary prayers 
that there is some difference in the ruling and that is in order to reduce or to lighten the responsibility or the burden in the voluntary prayer and this hadith is an example of such whereas it's indicated in this hadith a number of things and from amongst them is that the person who is performing the voluntary prayer as a traveler on their riding animal they are not obligated to make a ruku and sajda whereas in the obligatory prayers it's obligatory to make a ruku and sajda uh, for whoever is able even if you pray sitting you still have to make a ruku and sajda from the sitting position the reasoning behind this he says is that the purpose here is to increase the voluntary prayers so Allah lightened the actions or the responsibilities or the requirements in the voluntary prayers in order to make it easier that the Muslim might perform voluntary prayers more more and more uh, the Prophet ﷺ used to pray this voluntary prayer while he was traveling on the back of his riding animal whichever direction the animal was facing even if the animal wasn't facing the Qibla and he used to point or indicate uh, the ruku, the bowing and the sujood, the prostration by nodding his head and this ruling of praying on the riding animal and nodding the head for ruku and sajda is applicable for voluntary prayers in general including the prayers that are performed with the obligatory prayers the rawatib, those prayers that are performed before or after the obligatory prayers this is applicable to them as well as those prayers which have a reason for them being performed such as uh, the uh, prayer of entering the masjid or the prayer of uh, duha or the night prayer or prayer of istikhara or so on any other prayer that has a particular reason it is, it is generally applicable to natural prayers in general of whatever type and the proof of this is that the Prophet ﷺ performed the, a voluntary prayer in this manner the most certain and the most important of the voluntary prayers the witter prayer even the witter prayer he performed in this manner on his riding animal facing any direction that the animal was facing and only nodding his head for ruku and sajda as indicated in one of the narrations that we mentioned here as for the five obligatory prayers those prayers are only five times in the day and they are not as much as the voluntary prayers a person may pray voluntary prayers as much as they like day and night on every occasion uh, but as for the obligatory prayers they are only five specific times in the day um, and therefore they should be given full attention and they should be done in their completed form yeah, and he was bowing and sajda ruku and sajda and every part of the prayer uh, standing uh, and it is not permissible it is not correct that a person should pray the obligatory prayers on the riding animal in this matter except in the emergency case yeah, and the absolute necessity where the person has no other option in that case it is permissible from this hadith the shaykh mentions a number of ahkam yeah, and in this hadith is the main hadith that he discussed the rulings concerning uh, the voluntary prayers on the riding animal the first of them, the first ruling from this hadith is that it is permissible to perform a voluntary prayer while the person is on a journey on the back of their riding animal or in their car, or on the plane, or in a boat, or any other vehicle for transportation it is permissible to perform a voluntary prayer while a person is traveling on the back of their riding animal on the seat of their automobile or otherwise and Ibn Umar who reported this hadith he actually practiced this also not only did he narrate the hadith but he used to do it and the fact that he used to do it is stronger than the fact that he narrated it because the fact that he did it shows that that ruling was not abrogated after the death of the Prophet or in the end of the life of the Prophet or any time during his lifetime and he, since he used to do it after the death of the Prophet it indicates that that ruling is not abrogated it is standing and it also makes clear how that practice is to be implemented not only in words but also in his action number two Imam Ahmed and Abu Thawr rahimahumullah they held the opinion that the person who is traveling on their riding animal 
that when they begin their voluntary prayer or nafu prayer, they should face the animal in the direction of the qibla at the beginning of the prayer. And then after that, whichever direction the animal goes and there's no harm. But they must begin the prayer facing the qibla. And this is based on a hadith, the hadith of Anas radiallahu anhu. And that hadith is reported in the Sunan of Abu Dawood and it is Sahih. Uh, it is reported that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam kana idha safara fa'arada an yatatawwa' yani whenever he used to travel if he wanted to make a voluntary prayer istaqbala binaqatihi al-qibla then he used to face his animal towards the direction of prayer the qibla thumma salla haythu wajhuhu aw wajjahahu ruqabuhu Yani he used to first face his animal towards the qibla and then he used to continue the prayer in any direction that the animal used to face and this hadith is declared by Shaykh al-Albani as Hassan it is a good reliable hadith the third uh, point here is that it is not permissible it is not yajus not permissible to make the obligatory prayers the faridah on the riding animal except in case of necessity the rory the person has no other option they have no other way the scholars said this is so that one of the shurut or one of the conditions or preconditions of salat would not pass you by yani facing the qibla is one of the preconditions of salat just as being in a state of tahara is a precondition of salat and just as the time of the prayer has to be in as a precondition of salat so also facing the qibla is a precondition a sharf of salat and this is yani meant to avoid missing this condition of the prayer for that reason the obligatory prayers are not to be prayed uh, on the riding animal but the person should get off the animal or get out of the car stop and pray standing facing the qibla if there was a necessity or an emergency such as fear then it is permissible in that case to pray on the riding animal as has been authentically reported in some of the hadith and in one place uh, where it has been reported is in the Sahih of Al-Bukhari and the Muwatta of Imam Malik and the Sahih of Ibn Khuzaymah is reported in the authority of Nafi from Ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma that أَنَّهُ كَانَ إِذَا سُئِلَ عَنْ صَلَاةِ الْخَوْفِ that when Abdullah ibn Umar used to be asked about Salat al-Khawf, the fear prayer. He used to describe it and then he used to say, فَإِنْ كَانَ خَوْفِ هُوَ أَشَدُّ مِنْ ذَلِكَ That if the person is in the condition of fear, then this is even يعني, more serious or more severe. صَلُّوا uh, رِجَالًا قِيَامًا عَلَىٰ أَقْدَامِهِمْ in that case, in the case of fear, the person is faced with the enemy or such, then that person may pray walking, standing on their feet, or they may pray riding on the animal, facing the qibla or not facing the qibla. And Nafi, one of the great scholars of the Tabi'een, he was a student of Abdullah ibn Umar. After narrating this hadith from Abdullah ibn Umar, he said, "Wala ara ibn Umar ذكر ذلك إلا عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم." That I cannot imagine that Ibn Umar said such words except that he got it from the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم. Otherwise, he had no right to make up such a thing. So, this for this reason, the scholars said that this hadith is considered to be marfu'an. Marfu'an meaning what? It is attributed or raised up as a statement or saying or action of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Also, Al-Hafiz Ibn Hajj Al-Asqalani uh, mentions that this hadith, this saying of Abdul Ibn Umar indicates the permissibility of a person performing the prayer without facing the Qibla due to fear, due to fear. Yani, even though they are not a, a traveler, but due to fear, it's permissible that they might, uh, they might pray without facing the Qibla. And this is the opinion of the Jamhur or the majority of scholars. That the case of fear is also an exception uh, from the obligation of facing the Qibla.
Then the next point he says that signaling in the prayer here is in reference to signaling for indication of ruku, bowing and sujood, prostration. Here the Prophet used to signal in the prayer means he used to make a signal or nodding his head to indicate ruku and to indicate sujood. Also from this hadith he said that the qibla of the mutanafil, the person who is making nafil prayer, the qibla of the person making nafil prayer on his riding animal, it is whatever direction the animal is facing. The qibla for the person making nafil prayer on the riding animal is whatever direction the animal is facing. Also, from this hadith, some of the scholars said that al-witr, the witr prayer, art number of rakah, three or five or seven or nine or so on, that should be performed as the last prayer of the night, that that prayer is not wajib. They understood that the witr prayer is not wajib. And there is difference of opinion. Some of the scholars said that it is wajib and some scholars said that it is not wajib based on this hadith because the Prophet ﷺ prayed the witr prayer on his riding animal. And it's reported in Al-Bukhari and Muslim that the Prophet ﷺ didn't used to pray on the riding animal. Al-Maktubah, the obligatory prayers, or Al-Fara'id, the obligatory prayers, the prescribed or obligatory prayers. He didn't used to pray on the riding animal. From this they understood that since he prayed the witr, then witr is not of the obligatory prayers. And there's difference of opinion about it. In any case, this is one of the points that some of the scholars mention from this hadith. Also, there's a rule here that we should try to remember, which we took previously on more than one occasion. Here he says that whenever there's a need for something, then in the legislation of Islam, there's taysir or tasheel. There's some ease or facility given. When there's something that the Muslims need, Allah usually allows some ease or some facility in that thing to make it easier for the Muslims to do so. And this is related to the principle that we took before, al-mashaqqa tajlibu at-taysir. Al-mashaqqa, hardship or difficulty, tajlibu at-taysir, brings about ease or facility. Now, and this is understood in this case, Allah, uh, in order not to make it difficult for the Muslims to perform the nafu prayers as much as they liked, to increase the performance of the prayers, the nafu prayers, He gave us some ease, so it wouldn't be a hardship to make them regularly and often. And this is from the bounties and favors and ease that Allah has given to the believers over and over and over again, and so many occasions for travelers, for sick, and so on. Also in this hadith is an indication of the high loftiness or the lofty nature of the Islamic Sharia and the encouragement of the worshippers or the servants of Allah to increase their acts of ibadah or worship and by making easy the way to doing so. Allah wants us to do more nafil prayers so he made it easier for us to do it to encourage us to do them more and more. That means since Allah made it easier for us to do so we should take advantage of it and try to do more. Uh, also, Imam al-Sanani, Muhammad ibn Ali al-Sanani from Yemen, he said that the report of this hadith, or the narration, the expression that came in this hadith is actually a combination of different reports that were reported in Bukhari in different places. Yani the way this hadith was reported here, he said it was combined from different places, putting it together. Uh, from Bukhari and Muslim. And that this expression, as it came here, uh, in the book from the Al-Ahkam he said that the exact wording as it came here or as he reported it here uh, is not to be found either separately in Bukhari or Muslim but it is a combination and there is slight different wording uh, also another point he mentions next to the last point that we cannot use this hadith as a proof or an evidence or a dalil that Lowering the head for sujood should be more than lowering the head for ruku. In this hadith, in the wording of this hadith, there is not an evidence that lowering the head for sujood is lower than ruku. There is not a clear proof in this hadith here. But in fact, the clear proof that lowering the head for sujood should be lower than for ruku is in another hadith which is expressed clearly. That hadith is reported 
in the Sunan of At-Tirmidhi and the Sunan of Abu Da'ud and it is Sahih as declared by Shaykh Al-Albani uh, as reported in the hadith of Jabir radiallahu anhu uh, he said that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had sent him to take care of some need when he returned to him he said فَجِدْتُ وَهُوَ يُصَلِّي عَلَى رَاحِلَتِهِ نَحْوَ الْمَشْرِكِ he said when I returned to him I found him praying on his riding animal facing the east not facing the qibla facing the east وَالسُّجُودُ أَخْفَضُ مِنَ الرُّكُوبِ and his sujood, when he used to nod his head for sujood, it was lower than he nodded his head for ar-ruku bowing. And his, his lowering the head or nodding the head for prostration was lower than he nodded his head or lowered his head for bowing. And this hadith, as I mentioned, is reported in the Sunnah of Al-Tirmidhi and the Sunnah of Abu Dawood and it's Sahih. Finally, the last point he said that the majority of scholars held the opinion that it is permissible to abandon facing the Qibla while one is on a journey whether that journey is a long journey or a short journey this is agreed by the majority of scholars the Jamhur except Al-Imam Malik rahimahullah, who held the opinion that this permission is only for the one who is on a journey in which the person is allowed to shorten their prayers yeah, and if somebody goes on a journey that's shorter than the distance allowed for shortening the prayers then they are not allowed to do so they are not allowed to do this, according to Imam Malik. But the others said, no matter if the journey is a long journey or a short journey, it is permissible. The next hadith is the hadith number While the people were in at Quba, Quba is a place on the outskirts of Medina. He said, while the people in Quba, they were in the morning prayer the Salatul Fajr, Salatul Subh, they were performing the morning prayer, is ja'ahum atin faqad. Then someone came to them and said, called out to them, inna nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallama qad unzila alayhi al-laylata Qur'anun. That the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has had some Qur'an revealed to him this night, in the night, during the night. وَقَدْ عُمِرَ أَنْ يَسْتَقْبِلَ الْكَعْبَةِ and he had been ordered in that revelation to face the Kaaba in Mecca. Fastaqbaluha or Fastaqbiluha. There are two reports of this hadith. The meaning of one of them is that then they started to face the Kaaba. And the other meaning is that he ordered them. Fastaqbaluha. Then face the Qibla or face يعني, the Kaaba. وَكَانَتْ وُجُوهُهُمْ إِلَى الشَّامِ And they had been praying facing Asham, Syria. Yani they were in the morning prayer facing the direction of Syria. Asham. When he came to them and announced to them that the revelation came ordering the Prophet ﷺ to face the Kaaba. فَاسْتَدَارُوا إِلَى الْكَعْبَ Then they turned around completely in the total opposite direction and they, while they were in the prayer, they turned around completely and they started to face the Kaaba. The general meaning of this hadith, the Shaykh says, uh, it has already been mentioned that when the Prophet ﷺ made hijrah to Medina or migration to Medina, there were many Jews there and there was a wisdom in the fact or that which um, caused the Prophet ﷺ to make the Qibla the Qibla of the previous Prophets because many of the previous Prophets were sent to Bani Israel to the Jewish nation and therefore it was for a wisdom that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam made the Qibla of course by Allah's direction by Allah's command he made the Qibla towards the Qibla of the previous Prophets towards Jerusalem Bayt uh, al-Maqdas so he was praying towards the Qibla for 16 or 17 months and there are other reports and sayings of the scholars but the most authentic of them is reported in al-Bukhari Muslim that it was for a period of 16 or 17 months that he was facing the Jerusalem 
Bayt al-Maqdis. And this is reported in Sahih Muslim, English translation, volume 1, page 267, hadith number 1072. The Prophet ﷺ, during this period of time, while he was facing Jerusalem, he, he had a desire in his heart to face the Kaaba. So Allah revealed to him the saying in Surah Al-Baqarah, chapter 2, verse 144, Allah said that we see you turning your face towards the heaven, waiting for revelation, hoping for revelation, hoping for Allah to give him permission to turn to the Kaaba. Therefore, we will turn you <coughs> to a tabla or a direction that you will be pleased with, meaning the Kaaba. So Allah said, then you are ordered to turn your face in the direction of Al-Masjid Al-Haram, the sacred masjid and the Kaaba. At that time, one of the Sahaba came to Masjid Quba, the masjid of the people in that area in Quba, which is on the outskirts of Medina, and he found the people praying, and the news of this instruction had not yet reached them. Yani, the abrogation of facing Jerusalem had not yet reached them, and they were praying towards the first Qibla, Jerusalem. So he informed them to turn to the Qibla, to the Kaaba, and that the Prophet ﷺ had received revelation from, from uh, and the Qur'an had been revealed to him, ordering him such. Uh, and that statement is in reference to this ayah that we just mentioned from Surah Al-Baqarah, chapter 2, verse 144. Uh, <coughs> so they turned around and started, yeah, they understood what he meant, that they should turn towards the Kaaba, they understood it, um, and they accepted it, and they turned their faces uh, from the direction that they were facing Beit al-Maqdus, Jerusalem, and they turned their faces to the new Qibla, the Kaaba. Yani, while they were performing the prayer. In the course of the prayer, they just turned around. If you go to Masjid uh, uh, Qibla Tain, which yani, the people say it is the Masjid in which the changing of the Qibla, and if the people who turned around in the Salat took place, it is doubtful whether or not it is Correct, but as for that which has been reported in Sahih Muslim authentically, this incident took place in Masjid Quba. But in any case, if you go to Medina today and you go on the tours that the people take you on to Masjid Tiblatain, which is not legislated in the Sunnah that anyone should visit Masjid Tiblatain, but it is legislated that we should visit Masjid Quba. But if anyone went to Masjid Tiblatain, you will see this ayah written on the wall, and you will see the back of the Masjid, the Qibla that the people were facing and then they turned around completely to the new Qibla which the people are praying towards today, the Kaaba or Mecca. In any case, I mentioned this so that if anyone goes to Medina, no need to waste your time going to Masjid Qibla saying it is just another Masjid. But the Masjid that's legislated, that's virtuous and rewardable to go to is Masjid Quba, where this incident took place, but not because of this incident. The reason why it's reported or it's legislated to go there is because the Prophet used to do so every week, every Saturday, as reported by Abdul Ibn Umar, that he used to go there walking or riding. And he said, the Messenger of Allah said that whoever purifies himself from his house and goes to Masjid Quba and prays in the two rakah, they will get the reward equal to the reward of making Umrah. They will get the reward of making Umrah. So for this reason, whoever is in Medina, once they are there, they should go to Masjid Quba and pray in that Masjid two rakah. Uh, the rulings that are derived from this hadith are ten. The first of them, that in the beginning of the Hijrah, the Qibla was to Beit al-Maqdis, Jerusalem, then it was changed to the Kaaba. Also, that the Qibla of the Muslims has remained until today, constantly and firm, it has remained as the Kaaba. The Qibla of the Muslims is the Kaaba, therefore it is obligatory for whoever is seeing the Kaaba, who is close to it, that they must face the Kaaba directly. And those who are far from it, and who cannot see it, then they are only required to face the general direction of the Kaaba. Yani, if they are in the city of Mecca, they should face the general direction of the Masjid al-Haram. And if they are outside of Mecca, they should face the general direction of the city of Mecca. And if they are outside of the country, they should face the general direction. But whoever is actually inside of the Masjid, they are required to face exactly the Kaaba. And that's why if you go to the Kaaba today, you will see the people 
praying in a circle, not praying in straight lines because whoever can see the Kaaba has to pray directly to it. Whereas anyone who is outside, they may pray in straight lines facing the direction, general direction of the Masjid or general direction of Makkah. Also, that the best place in the earth is the house of Allah, the Kaaba, as is proven by the fact that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was given this place as the direction of prayer, and he wouldn't have chosen or selected or wouldn't have been given any place as the direction of his prayer except that it is the best place in the earth. Also, in this hadith, we understand the permissibility of an nasq, an abrogation. Although there are some scholars, and particularly uh, the Jews, the Jewish people do not accept abrogation. And there are even some scholars in the Muslims who didn't accept abrogation. But from this hadith we understand that in the Islamic law, the Sharia, there is uh, the permissibility of abrogation. As in this hadith, uh, the Qibla was abrogated, the Qibla of Jerusalem was abrogated, and it was changed to the Qibla of Makkah, Al-Kaaba. And also from this hadith we can understand that whoever faces a direction in Salat, which is wrong, and then they find out while they are praying, if they came to know that they were facing the wrong direction, that they should just turn in the correct direction and they don't have to stop their prayer and whatever they prayed before they were informed is acceptable and correct and it doesn't have to be made up. But once they came to know the correct direction, they should turn to that direction and continue their prayer and complete it. And this is understood because the people in Masjid Quba at that time, when they were informed, they were praying. And they didn't stop, turn to the new direction and start the prayer all over again, but they continued in their prayer and they just completed it. And that which they prayed in the wrong direction before they knew it was accepted uh, and legitimate. Also there is a ruling here, a very important qaida or uh, rule. Uh, that a ruling uh, is not applicable to the person who is responsible to follow it until it reaches him. Yeah, and if the person who didn't know about a particular law or ruling, they are not held responsible until that ruling or that law reached them. As is understood in this hadith, yeah, that they weren't held responsible for the fact that they were praying in the wrong direction until the information came to them. At that point they became and it became obligatory on them to face the correct direction. Also, concerning Khabar Ahad, those reports that came from one or two or three, a small number of reporters or narrators, in the Islamic law it is accepted as long as the person or the few small number of people who report it are reliable, authentic, uh, truthful, reporters, especially when that report came uh, with yani, other indications which lead us to believe that those two people or that one person yani, were truthful. In that case we should believe it and we should practice it even if it is contrary to that which we knew previously by certainty. If Khabar Ahad, yani, a report came to us uh, contradicting something which we knew before and that report came through reliable narratives, authentic reliable narratives, then we should accept it and we may act on it. As happened in this case, one person came to them and they accepted his report that revelation came to the Prophet ﷺ. They changed the direction that they previously knew was the direction of the Qibla and they started to pray towards the new direction. They believed them and they acted on what he brought them. Also in this hadith is an indication that movement or any action, even if it is much, if it is for some benefit, then it is legislated and it is acceptable in the salat. Such as what happened to those people, it was for a benefit that they had to move in the prayer and change their direction in order to correct the qibla uh, that they were praying towards. In that case, there is no harm uh, in any movement or something that someone does in the salat for a necessity. Uh, also, another uh, point here, Al-Imam Tahawi, Rahimahullah, who is very well known to us now, Abu Ja'fa, Ahmad ibn Muhammad al-Tahawi, whose book we are studying in Aqeedah, al-Aqeedah al he, as we said, he was also a scholar of hadith, and a scholar of fiqh, and here, uh, 
uh, statement is mentioned concerning this hadith, that this hadith is an indication that whoever doesn't know about an obligation that Allah has placed on us, or whoever has not, uh, it has not reached them, the da'wah of Islam or any yani, call from Allah or from the Prophet وسلم, then that thing which Allah made obligatory on us is not obligatory on them, nor is the da'wah a proof against them until the information reached them. Yani we cannot say that anyone is responsible for the call to Islam unless the call to Islam reached them, until we actually make da'wah and that da'wah reached them, nor any obligation is obligatory on anyone until they are informed of such. Until they came to know, and once they came to know, then it is a proof against them, and they are obligated to follow it. Also, some of the scholars of Usul al-Fiqh, they said, more than this, they said, that understanding that obligatory act, or understanding that ruling, or that law, or that da'wah, understanding it is a condition for them becoming responsible. And if someone told someone that it is obligatory to do something, but they didn't understand what they were being told, then they are not to be held responsible until you make them to understand what that obligation entails. Uh, the last hadith, the Ibnillah Ta'ala, and it's relatively short, with just, just enough time, the hadith, hadith number 67, the hadith of Anas ibn Sareen, Abu Hamza, Anas ibn Sareen, who was one of the tabi'een, the students of Sahaba, he said, Istiqbalna Anasan, رضي الله عنه حين قدم من الشام that we went out to meet Anas meaning Anas ibn Malik the Sahabi رضي الله عنه Anas ibn Sarim said we went out to meet him at the time when he was coming from الشام from Syria فلقيناه بعين التمري we met him at a place called عين التمري which was famous for having much dates in that area فرأيته يصلي على حمار ووجهه من ذا الجانب I saw him praying on a donkey, and his face was facing in this direction, يعني عن يسار القبلة. He was facing to the left of the Qibla. He was on his animal, on his donkey, praying, facing to the left of the Qibla, not facing the Qibla. فقلتو, so I said, رأيتك تصلي لغير القبلة. I saw him facing in other than the direction of the Qibla. Then Anas رضي الله عنه answered him saying, لولا إني رأيت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يفعله أو فعله ما فعلته أو لم أفعله. And he said that if I hadn't seen the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa doing such, then I wouldn't have done it. Uh, and if I hadn't seen him praying, facing other than the direction of the Qibla in such circumstances, then I also would not have done such. He is the brother of the famous scholar of the Tabi'een, the Imam of the Tabi'een, Muhammad ibn Sareen, who died in the year 110. And Anas also was his brother, this Anas ibn Sareen, he was also a great scholar of Hadith from amongst the Tabi'een, whose narrations were accepted by both Al-Bukhari and Muslim, and it is said that when Anas ibn Sareen was born, his brother who was the Mawla of Anas ibn Malik, the Sahabi, his brother took him to Anas, and Anas uh, named him with his own name, Anas, and also with his kunya Abu Hamza, because Anas ibn Malik, the Sahabi, his kunya was Abu Hamza, and he named the brother of Muhammad ibn Sareen, Anas, by his name, and also Abu Hamza by his kunya. Meaning of this hadith, the Shaykh says uh, that when Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu uh, came from Sham or came from uh, he was going to Basra from Sham when he came there oof, too much the people, because of his high status as a great companion of the Prophet sallallahu wasallam and because of his so much knowledge the people came out of the city to receive him to make a reception for him. So the narrator of this hadith, he was one of those people who came out to receive Anas ibn Malik, and he said, I saw him playing on his donkey, and he was facing to the left of the Qibla. So I asked him about that, and he informed me that he had seen the Prophet of Allah وسلم, doing that, and if not, if I had not seen him, if he had not seen him, then he wouldn't have done so. There are three points from this hadith the Shaykh mentions. The first of them is that in this hadith it's not made clear whether the salat of Anas ibn Malik was an obligatory prayer or voluntary prayer. It's not clear from the text of the hadith, but it is known that it was a voluntary prayer because that is what, that is, what is well known from the action of the Prophet wasallam that he used to pray voluntary prayers on his animals. So we can understand from that that what Anas saw him doing was praying voluntary prayers and therefore that's what we understand that Anas also was doing, he was praying a voluntary prayer. Also from this hadith we understand that the Qibla of the praying person who was on the riding animal 
the qibla of that person is whatever direction the animal is facing and finally from this hadith also the permissibility of praying the voluntary prayer on a riding animal when the person is a traveler even on a donkey and some people might think that a donkey is unclean but this is also an indirect proof that the donkey is clean because of the fact that he was on a journey and he was riding on that animal for a long time and still he was praying on that animal without any fear of his ablution or his tahara being invalidated. Okay, this is the end of what we um, want to mention today. Uh, but there is one hadith which the Shaykh here doesn't mention but it's also applicable to this point. It is a very, very important hadith which indicates to us that the Ka'ba who cannot see it is not required but the only requirement, the minimum requirement is that they should face the general direction of the Kaaba or the general direction of the Qibla and this is based on the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that's reported in the Sunnah of Tirmidhi and Ibn and that hadith, Tirmidhi said is Hassan Sahih, it is an authentic hadith the Prophet Sallallahu said from Abu Huraira, Ma Dayna al-Mashriq al-Maghrib, Qiblatun but that which is between the East and the West is the Qibla that which is between the east and the west is a Qibla. And of course, that statement was made in Medina. And Medina is north of Mecca. So whoever faces that which is between the east and the west for the people of Medina is south. That is the Qibla. This makes us know from this hadith that a people may face the general direction of Mecca. And the Prophet didn't say you have to face the Kaaba exactly. But he said as long as you are facing, that the people who are north of Mecca, for example, in Medina, if they face that which is between their east and their west, that means they will be facing south, the general direction of the Kaaba, or the general direction of Mecca. And this, according to the majority of scholars, is a general rule for all people. The people who are in Yemen, who are south of Mecca, then they also face that which is between east and west. But they are facing toward Mecca north, whereas the people of Medina are facing toward Mecca south. And other people may be facing east, and other people may be facing west, according to where they are in relation to Mecca. Now the important point here is that facing the general direction of Mecca is sufficient, and it's not a necessity that you have to face exactly. That means you don't have a compass, and you have a general idea which direction is Mecca, it's sufficient. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika, ashadu an la ilaha illa anta, astagfirullah, wa ba'atubu ilayk. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم